Well, good morning and welcome. Let me tell you a couple other things as we get rolling today. We are taking a break from our regularly scheduled Acts Masterclass. We're actually going to take a long break from that, come back to it a little bit later. We're talking today about life after death. We are going straight after what happens when you die, what is life like on the other side of this, and what is the difference that Jesus makes in the whole thing. I'm going to tell you from the jump, fair warning today, you're going to have a chance to actually give your life to Jesus, to trust Him with your life, to say yes to Him if that's something you've never done. Uh, we're going to talk. This is a pressure-free environment, but I just want to tell you up front, if you haven't had that moment in your life, you will have the opportunity a little later today. And so uh, we're going to continue in this. I do want to tell you next week is another can't-miss one here at Momentum. My friend, mentor, and hero, Dr. J.K. Jones, is coming into town. If you guys have ever been here when he's here, everything just gets a little more holy when he's here for the week, and it's just good. He was my preaching professor, and so you, you, you have him to blame. You can take all your complaints to him and because he's the one who taught me how to preach and he comes he teaches he preaches it's fun we have a blast together and so he'll be here for that I'm gonna pray and then we'll dive straight into this life after death thing let's do it God and Father I just pray today as I'm preaching and talking and sharing that it is really your Holy Spirit that's on the move I don't want words from me, cover stories or arguments. We want your power moving through your word as we open it up. So Jesus, meet us here. I pray that for the longtime Christians in the room, the people who have walked with you for quite some time and quite a few miles, that they would find new refreshment and encouragement and insight in your word today. I pray for people who are new to this and not sure what they think or where they land in their faith, that you would just be revealing yourself to them, that you would be moving in our midst. Uh, that you'd be here with us this morning, okay? So it is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I can remember it vividly. I remember the little drive into this new unfamiliar building. I remember opening the doors and then the next set of doors. I remember walking in and seeing the mauve carpet and gaudy wallpaper that you don't really see in too many other buildings. I remember the soft music playing above head. I remember our family being led down a hallway. I remember doors opening. I remember being led to the casket where my great-grandmother's body lie. I remember it vividly. I remember what she looked like the way her hands were folded, her gray skin. I remember it was the very first time I had ever seen a lifeless body in my entire life. We were there. I was six years old. I asked you last time I told this story. And it's crazy to me the extreme detail I can recall from you from that experience, it tells me that there is something about death that marks us. I bet for some of you, I told my story of my first time seeing a lifeless person, and you could think of your first time seeing a lifeless person. I bet when we come around the idea of death and dying, we in this room have way more in common than we realize. It doesn't matter where you came from, how you got here, country of origin, race, ethnicity, or nationality, I bet each of us have several things in common when it comes to death and dying. Primarily this, we've all thought about it. 
We've all thought about death and dying. It is something that's crossed our minds. It is something that we've contemplated. Maybe you remember like one of your classmates from college passing away. Maybe you remember uh, you read something or heard something in your hometown and somebody had lost their life there and you kind of knew that person and knew what was going on and that it caused you for a moment to pause and think about the end of your own life. We think about it. It's interesting. The dichotomy there is that we don't talk about it. The great Billy Graham talked about death and dying, and he said it's one of the most forbidden topics of our day. It is not fun. It's not fun to stumble around those conversations about the end of life with family members. It's not fun to think of beautiful young celebrities that are one day going to be wrinkled up, withered with just a few people around them as they breathe their last breaths. This is something that crosses all of our minds, yet something we don't talk about. The other thing I think is interesting is that we all have in common too is we all long for something more. We all long for something more. And there's some of you in here that I will never understand. I love you. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I will never understand why you go pay your hard-earned money to be terrified in front of movies. I mean, like, there are some of you, some of you ran into October with a playlist. Like, you were like, we're going to start here, we're going to go here, we're going to get really scary here, then we'll save the last ones with the demons in them, because those are the most real for the end, and we'll turn the lights out. I can't do it. You know what it is? It's not even the movie. It's not like the actual movie for me. It's, it's the, the night after. You know what I'm saying? Like you watch a scary movie, you play it tough in front of the people around you, but then something shakes in the middle of the night. And, and some of y'all love that. Some of you are like, and now they keep like combining the horror movies. It's like Jason on Elm Street meets The Conjuring of Death Doom. And it's like, and you're like, sign me up, like opening day. And you go, but here's what that is. I actually do understand this in you. There's something in you that longs for something more. Our expression, we, we love these ideas, these stories of people connecting with the other side, psychics, mediums, the one from Long Island, I don't know what she's up to today, Miss Cleo, call me now, come on. They, you always look at that and you go, how does this lady make a living? How is people actually doing this? Here's why. We long for something more. The scriptures say it like this, God set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom God, what God has done from beginning to end. Those words are powerful. He has set eternity in your heart. There is a part of you that knows there is more to this life than getting by, and there's more to this world than meets the eye. There is something in you, there's something in me that longs for something more. Here's the third thing I bet about all of us. We would all like to know what we can expect in the next life. We don't like to know, hear me, I'm not saying we don't like to know when we're going to die. Like that would just mess everything. I am not in on the know when you're going to die sort of thing. I just, I want to be surprised. I don't care how it happens, but I don't want to know. <laughs> but, but here's what we do want to know. We don't like to know what to expect on the other side. And you guys, we're going to dive into that today here and how our Bible study is what happens after you die. What can we expect? Where do we go? And how is that all going to work? Now, I want to introduce you to three people today. Um, these three different scholars have all converged around the idea of life after death, and they are all students of near-death experiences, NDEs is what they call them, near-death experiences. Now, the first one is kind of the leader. He was a physician, uh, Dr. Raymond Moody, and he had an encounter uh, with a near-death experience of his own and then started talking to people about what he had experienced. He found out that tons of people were experiencing these sorts of things, so he actually left his medical practice as he became the foremost scholar on near-death experiences. Now, there's a cardiologist 
named Dr. Carl, Carl Sabum. And, and if these guys all wrote books, like if you're like, I want more, like take a picture of that and then Google blah, blah, blah book and you get more. Uh, Dr. Uh, cardiologist Dr. Carl Sabum uh, was kind of skeptical. He was like, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure this is a thing. How do we know? He went and visit a, a, uh, a seminar from Dr. Raymond Moody. He walks up to him at the end of the seminar. He says, sir, very great presentation. I'm a cardiologist. I've seen people go in and out. I, I've seen people lose their life on the table, come back on the table, all of this stuff. I'm not sure I, I buy it. So Moody challenges Sabum. He goes, here's what I want you to start doing. Just, you know, HIPAA, you don't have to share anybody's name. Your private conversation with them as their physician. When you see somebody lose their life on the table and make it back, when you have a follow-up appointment with them, I want you to start asking them what they experienced. So Sabum starts doing this. And as he talks with patients who go into cardiac arrest, lose breathing, or both, he starts talking to them about what they experience on the other side, and he starts hearing people, his own patients, telling stories like the ones he heard at Moody's seminar. Pastor John Burke, a great pastor, American pastor, been faithful for a long time in ministry, heard about both of these, had some people from his church who had experienced this, got interested because he wanted to educate his church on this. It's cool, these three people have become close friends, contemporaries, they study this together, and all have published works where they share different stories with one another. I wanna share some of their stories with you today, and then we'll talk about what we can learn about this, and each one of them has remarkable different ones. So, um, in his book, Life After Life, Dr. Raymond Moody records this event. There's an Italian surgeon, this is all documented, who was performing an elective surgery on a healthy young man who all ends up going into cardiac arrest and stops breathing on his table. They do the crash cart, they do, you know, the, I, sorry, there's medical people here, this is embarrassing, like clear, you know, ER. <laughs> they do all the different interventions. This guy, they cannot CPR, the whole thing, they try and get him back to life. They are getting ready to pronounce his death. It's, it's literally like, hey, here's the date, here's the time, here's what happened. As they do, a woman comes into the room screaming, bursts through the doors, finds a surgery room, the whole thing, and says, he's not dead yet, he's not dead yet, you have to bring him back, he's not dead. Uh, Moody would later say, or the, the Italian surgery, uh, surgeon in his interview with Moody would later say, he said he literally thought someone with dementia had got off of another floor in the hospital, was running a tear, burst into his room, and was about to ruin the operation. They stop. They look at this woman and find out she is the wife of the patient on the table. They said, ma'am, you can't be here. She says, it's not his time. Try and bring him back again. They resuscitate the man. He comes back to life. Time goes by. It's his first appointment back with this doctor who witnessed the whole thing. And he goes, well, we've never had that happen before. The patient says, neither have I. He goes, can you tell me what happened? He said, yeah. I was on that table. I started to rise above me and I could see everything happening. I was overwhelmed with this sense it wasn't my time yet and I tried to tell you guys. I couldn't get anyone's attention so I moved through the hallways. He could describe the hallways to my wife. I went and told her that she had to tell you guys to bring me back to life and she did it. Now, Sabin has an experience. And right near the University of Connecticut, 
there was a woman named Vicky. Vicky was on her way home from singing at a nightclub. The next thing she remembers is she is above her smashed car. She's looking down on it from the sky and she's drifting towards the hospital as this body is put in an ambulance. She wonders if she is in fact having a near-death experience. She looks down at the body and determines that it is in fact her because she sees a bracelet and she always wears the bracelet. In her experience, she remembers levitating through a tunnel, seeing an amazing light, looking around at beings composed of light, feeling love everywhere she moves. She passes. She goes somewhere else. She even sees her former caretakers that had passed away and a couple of the other disabled kids from her special needs classes that were with her. Vicky then saw a review of her life, a bunch of different interactions, experiences, uh, sees a being made of light, and then feels a thud and wakes back up on her hospital bed. Here's the crazy thing. She sees these people. She can tell you what they looked like in great detail. All kinds of details about what she saw and experienced. She can tell you what the bridge looked like, where she crashed. But Vicky was completely blind. Both of her optic nerves were severely damaged. She explains, a lot of people ask me if I see black. No. I don't see black. I don't see anything at all. In my dreams, I don't see any visual impressions, just taste, touch, sound, and smell. In her near-death experience, she could see everything. She remembers having to get used to seeing. She could describe in uncanny detail what her friends and fellow students look like, even how one of her friends walked with great difficulty. I think one of the funniest ones, if these can be funny for a minute, is Pastor John Burke's one, and this is actually recorded in The Lancet, which is Europe's leading medical journal. It's in there. It's not like on the internet in some weird page. This is in uh, Europe's leading medical journal. There is this older gentleman in Ireland, and he again dies on a table. And so uh, I'll just paraphrase this one for you. This man dies on the table. They're going through all the measures to, you know, ER, clear the whole thing. Uh, they bring in a cart. They have to intubate him, like put a breathing apparatus in so he can breathe. They're doing different things. They, they went from CPR to that to get the breathing apparatus in his mouth. He wore dentures and they have to take out the dentures and set him aside. He has an experience where he dies there. He's floating above the room. He can tell you all kinds of details about what he saw in the room, including one of the surgeons who was not wearing their right foot covering, which ended up being true when they reviewed all the facts. He wakes up after this experience, comes back to life, wakes up in his hospital room, happy to be alive, yet not having dentures. So some time goes by. People are caring for him. The nurse who removed the dentures comes into his hospital room and he goes, you're the one. You're the one. You, you know where the dentures are. You put them. There was that cart. You opened up the bottom drawer. And it was full of these little jars. My denture. Can you please go get my dentures? She's like, what? The nurse says specifically, the moment that this man was talking about, he was completely unconscious and he was receiving CPR. She put his teeth in a crash cart. They go. They find the cart, they know which one was there, unlock the bottom drawer, and there sits the man's dentures. Now, this is interesting. 
Because, yes, these are cool stories and make you go, woo, and it's like Halloween's tomorrow. Yes, it does open our eyes and remind us that there's something out there. Yes, there's different parts and pieces of these stories that line up, but, but we have to make an important move together as we move forward. This needs to change the way we live. And so that's exactly what these three men thought. They decided, hey, what could we actually know? How could we actually take these stories? How, what could we actually do with this? And they realized, you know what? If we review these, and they've done so, thousands of different stories, and we look at the common things in these stories, we can actually paint a picture of the afterlife for people so they can know what to expect. Not only that, we can help them get ready for it, which is what we're going to do as well today. So what they did, they have thousands and thousands of stories. They threw out anybody crazy or looking to make money. They interviewed other surgeons, um, uh, pilots, different people, high-ups, uh, professionals who actually had something to lose by sharing their stories. Uh, they went internationally and, and looked at stories of different people from different uh, countries, and they go, what do all of them have in common? If, if it's here and it's in some other country and two people have never met, if it's in a professional, and if it's somebody who was raised poor, what are the common experiences and what are the ones that the Bible actually actually validates about our life in the afterlife. And they brought those together to build this list. What happens when you die? Number one, there's an out-of-body experience. The majority, I think it was nine out of ten of these people, have the experience of levitating above their body, looking down and seeing what happened. As a matter of fact, if you go to the scriptures, there was actually a time when Paul, the writer Paul, uh, you know, we're going to learn more about him in our study of the book of Acts. There was actually a time when Paul had a near-death experience. In Acts chapter 14, he's stoned, he's uh, beaten, he, he's beat to death, he's drugged outside of the city gates so the animals will come clean him up. He comes to out there. He writes about his out-of-body experience in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 2. I was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Whether in the body or apart from the body, I was caught where? I was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things. One commonality is the out-of-body experience. Number two, what happens when you die? People report meeting a loving God. Meeting a loving God. Now, let me talk to my theologians in the room really quick. You're like, well, if they're, you know, in some country where they don't believe in God or Jesus, how are they going to meet a loving God? And how does that all work? What if it is not? And isn't that cheating the system? No, it says they met a loving God. It did not say they were guaranteed eternity with a loving God. The interesting thing is the two most common words from these people who describe meeting God the two most commonly used adjectives that describe this God are love and light. We see that in scriptures too. In Daniel, uh, the prophet Daniel is given a vision and he says, I looked up and there before me was a man. His face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice the sound of a multitude. There was an account from a woman in Singapore and she said this, I had seen a very bright light. I thought it was the sun, but it was not. I don't have an idea where the light came from. Someone spoke to me for a while. I heard, and that voice came from the light. 
You know what it felt like when I saw that light? When I saw that bright light, I felt that someone loves me very much, but I had no idea who it was. I was overwhelmed with that bright light, and while I was there, I felt the love, and that love I had never felt before. Light and love. Number three, people experience being welcomed by familiar loved ones. It's, they get there, they get to the other side, they get to where it's happening, they get to whatever happened, and they have the experience of being greeted by loved ones. They say that the people who experience this feel like those loved ones were there to welcome them to the next place. Here's the cool one, number four. People say the experience felt more real than this life here. Now this is neat because one of the other things I found out is over 13 million Americans have had an NDE, an experience like that. I think that came down to like one in 25 people. Uh, one crazy thing is that there's actually a Momentum family member who is a Jesus follower because of the near-death experience he had, shared so much of this similar stuff. Here's the crazy thing. What people report is what they experienced there felt like the true reality, and what we experience here is just like a little shadow of the goodness that is to come. Could you imagine that? Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 13. And he says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, that's after, after we die, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. For you C.S. Lewis fans in the room, Chronicles and Narnia, all that stuff. There's a scene at the very end, last book, they make it home and they're talking about having made it to heaven or the end of this life, the end of the struggles and all this stuff. And, and Lewis uh, writes about it like this. One of the characters says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land that I've been looking for my whole life, though I never knew it till now. The reason I love the old Narnia so much is sometimes it looked like this. I'll get into this in a minute, but what that leads us to understand or deduce is that your greatest moments here are like little snapshots of day-to-day -day life there. So, what's the afterlife going to be like? How do we deal with that? Let me take you to Revelation 21, because this is kind of the verse that underpins all the rest of the ideas. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, talks about it like this. This is the last day. This is it's over. This is eternity. This is heaven. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down at a, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, set, the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. What is heaven going to be like? Number one, here's what I think. It'll be better than you realize. 
I think we have in the church, and it's the fault of pastors like me, we have some anemic life after death theology. We have a poor vision for what it's going to be like when we die. And, and I also blame the cartoons because do you guys remember Tom and Jerry? And Tom would be chasing Jerry around and all of a sudden like Jerry would hit him in the face with a hammer. And how did they let children watch that back then? And they'd hit the cat in the face with the hammer and he'd die. And then what would happen? That little ghost version. Yeah, you got me. That little ghost version of Tom would go up into heaven. And then all of a sudden Tom's in a robe and he has this gold halo and there's like a choir over here and there's people. And, and we're led to believe it's like that's what's going to happen and then it's just going to be like endless church services you know and we sing on this day and then we do bible study over here and jesus is leading it can i tell you guys something i'm a pastor and i don't even want to go to that heaven i'm serious can we we'll delete that from the recording later but i'm telling you that's a weak vision for heaven and that's not actually what it's going to be like let me start here it's going to be better than you think because three things are going to be taken away from your life immediately there's three things that hold every single one of us back. It is not how much money is in your bank account. It is not that one thing that happened to you a long time ago that you wish you could change. There are three things that hold all of us back. Number one is insecurity. Not liking me to the bottom of me. Not liking what I see when I look in a mirror. It's insecurity and it's fear. It's a fear of what could happen to me next and how's it all going to work out and are my kids going to be okay and am I going to have what I need or not have what I'm going to need or are they going to take something from me? Is it all going to be okay? I'm afraid. And then finally, it's regret. It's the things I wish I could do differently. It's the ones I wish I could have back. It is the things I did on purpose that made my life worse and hurt people around me that I regret. It is not your money that is your problem. It is not because you drive this car and you really wish you had that car. Underneath it all, insecurity, fear, and regret. But when you get there, you will live perfectly with all of those removed from your soul and replaced with light and love in an instant, I don't even think we could imagine what that feels like. In God's presence, we don't fear anymore because God is there with us, providing us with everything we need. In God's presence, we don't feel insecure anymore because the reality of his acceptance is so rich. In God's presence, there won't be any more regret because you'll tangibly feel how deeply you are in fact loved in spite of everything you have done. That's a place worth going to. What will the afterlife be like? It'll be a return, not an escape. I think some of our bad theology around heaven starts right when we read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we forget a very important part of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. When God made everything, He said, it is, come on, it is good. Hold on to that. He didn't say, it's all right, but then one day I'll let these people live a whole life and go to heaven where everything's going to be how I want it. 
No, he says it is good. The Jewish understanding. There was shalom. It was complete. It was perfect. Everything was set up just how God wanted it to be. Okay, if God made everything just how it was supposed to be, then you die and you go to heaven. You're not going, again, where Tom and Jerry go off on this lifeboat over here. You're going back to what God always had in mind for you. You're returning to life as it was always meant to be. We're going back to the garden in that Revelation passage. Uh, in, the, in the garden, they walk with God in the cool of the morning. God's presence is there providing Adam and Eve with everything they need. What happens back in Revelation 21? God's presence returns to earth, restores everything, new heaven, new earth, and we live in perfect peace as we were always designed to live. That's a place worth going to. Number three, we will be free from mourning, hurt, and pain. Let me repeat verse three and four from that Revelation passage. They will be his people and God himself will be their God. What is he going to do? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. There's no more back pain. No more cancer, no more miscarriage, no more racism, no more discrimination, no more hate crimes. There's no more malady. There's no children's foundations for sick kids to try and make the rest of their little lives better. God fixes everything and he promises that. I want to personalize it. I have a dear friend from the church I served at before I came here. His name's Josh. And Josh is one of the most encouraging gentlemen I've ever met in my entire life. I'd preach a message, and you just need people like this. I'd preach a message. I was learning how to preach. It was an average message. But Josh would come up to me every single week, and he would tell me, thank you for the message, and it was so great. But what the thing about Josh is he, he, he's very similar to one who is trapped inside their own body. Uh, he came from a very wealthy family. They own a business that provides cranes for all the construction in southern Indiana, Kentucky. If you, know, if you know redneck living, you know he is set, okay? When your dad runs the crane business, like, you are doing just fine. He was driving a go-kart at a kid's birthday party, drives the go-kart out into the street, didn't see the car coming, gets hit. And so now Josh has very, very limited motion. He walks with a limp. His hands are curled up. He's thinking perfectly, but he speaks very slow. Thank you for that. It's all there. You can't get it out. And I've put myself in Josh's shoes before and tried to imagine his frustration because many people see the way he walks and hear the way he talks and they don't think he's all the way there. So they finish his sentences for him. They rush him a little bit. What would it be like being all the way there but not being able to get it out? That's Josh. But Revelation 21 verses 3 and 4 tell me there's a day when Josh is going to be made new. And we would fist bump when we saw each other. And I'd say, I can't wait to play football with you. Bro, I'm going to juke you out of your shoes. Like, no mercy. Hey, they're nice to you here because they had to be. But when we get there, I'm going to school you. And he'd love it. 
And it's true. There is a day coming when everyone, everything, every part of your life and mine is going to be made new. That's a day worth living for. So here we go. Most important question. We're almost done, guys. Most important question of the morning is this. What does this mean for us? I'll show you. We're going to do a little thought experiment. I I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine this rope right here is your life. This little red part would be your life, okay? This is your, your 60 to 80, 80 to 90 years on earth. This is the red part. And I want you to just imagine the white part just goes. I mean, imagine, imagine it is literally just eternal and infinite in its length, okay? There is no end to it. It just, Cruz, pull it out for me. Help, help the boy out up here. There we go. Yeah, I mean, imagine Cruz could just pull the end of this rope. He could go walk and keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And uh, there you go. That's good. That's good. Just set it there. You're good. Thank you. Imagine this thing just goes into eternity. I want you to think about this for a minute. This is your life. This is when you die. This is eternity. What do we do with this? Number one, here's here's the first conclusion that should shape how we live. This life is shorter than we think. Talk to anybody with some years and with some miles and with some time in their belt. What do you tell the young people? Don't blink because it goes fast. Here's the deal. Some of us are closer to the end than we realize. You might have imagined you at 80 in your sleep, you know, and you're the last one to go and it's all good. You don't know where you are on this little red bar right now. And that should trouble you and me. The scripture says it like this in James. uh, You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You know, it's the hairspray can. And you see it for all of two seconds and it is gone. When the Bible describes your life, it says you are a mist. It is going to go quicker than you think. You might be closer than you think. And then eternity happens. Number two, it's logical to live with eternity in mind. Uh, The Bible makes it clear. How I live here, what I do with Jesus, his life, his love, his message, his death, and his resurrection is going to affect this for me. Heaven is real, hell is real, and it is what you do with your life, this part, that affects this part. Some of you young people, you're already investing in your retirement. Like, I could talk to you, you got a plan. Okay, we're going to have the pension here, and then the Dogecoin's going to finally come back around, and then we'll never need money again, and then this is going to happen. I mean, you are thinking about retirement. Some of you are close to retirement. You plan for that retirement, and, and, and you did a really good job. I'm for you because you thought about this little part of your life, then you thought about this little part of your life, and you're like, I want to live here to shape here so things are cool here, and I can travel and do what I want to do. But can I tell you something? We it would all be far more wise to do something with this part of life that's going to shape this part of life. Because it's eternal. The wise thing to do is to live with this in mind. 
The wise thing to do is when you want something and you need something or you're disappointed or disgruntled or it's not going how you want it to go, you, it's, you should think on this rope and go, am I going to care about the coffee maker breaking when I get here? The answer is no. This part will shape this part. And the wisest thing you could do is start preparing today. Last idea is this one. It's important to know where you're going to spend eternity. Band, you guys can come on up. We'll finish with a song in a second. It's important to know where you're going to spend eternity. Now, we talked about this uh, a minute ago. We said, you know, so many people think about death, but so few people actually talk about it because it's uncomfortable. And so here's what we end up doing. Go to the next one for me. Some people wish, some people ignore, and some people speculate. Some people are just, I'm going to do me, I'm going to live how I want, and I hope when I get here, it just kind of all works out. I mean, somebody told me God is love. I'm a pretty good person. I'm not as bad as those people. I kind of just hope it all works out on that day. Some, some people ignore it. If you've ever heard that expression, whistling past the grave, you know, I'm going to drive by a cemetery and there's all these people and lives that they represent, but I can't, that's too much for me to process, so I'm just going to kind of look the other way. Oh, cool bird, and not even think about the fact that I'll be there one day. Some people ignore it. But the problem is, there will come a day for all of us when this is impossible to ignore. And some of us speculate... I take a little bit of what I heard from my grandma who used to take us to church and uh, I watched a pastor on TV one time say something that sounded pretty good and I'm just going to hope that grandma and this guy were right and this all kind of goes how I need it to go. But can I just tell you, like when it comes to eternity, it is too important to wish, ignore, or speculate. I want to know. And we can know. Because of that communion verse I shared earlier in Scripture. Jesus, the one who lived, the one who died, and then conquered death forever, said this. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asks you and me the question, do you believe this? That is, that is the most important question. Because he says right here, through believing in him, when the end of this life happens, it will only be the beginning of the next so I want to invite you to stand. We're going to pray. We're going to sing one more song and then we're going to enjoy ourselves outside together. To believe in this verse means to trust. It means to bet on. To place your confidence in. 
And so if you've never had a chance to do that, I want to invite you to do that now. If you just, everybody just close your eyes before we sing. And you don't even have to do this out loud. It could be you where you are right now. And you just say, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. It's not everything you need to talk about with Jesus, but it's a great start. Let me pray. God and Father, we just move towards you this morning. We're thankful for the hope we have, the life we have. We're thankful for the way you gave us your son to live and to die and to beat death on our behalf. And so, Jesus, today we're just saying as a community, we trust you. We're thankful, we're grateful, and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing one more song together.